Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. The Lord is moving church in our families. He's moving in the body of Christ in the church. And he's moving in our cities and in our nation. If, if your eyes are not attuned and you're not awakened to see what God is doing, then wake up. Then wake up. Then wake up. Because the Lord is doing something mighty, church. He is doing something incredibly powerful. And I want us to not lose sight of the, the enemy does all the things that the enemy is going to do, Right? The Bible says that every single time there is a word given that he tries to choke out the word. Amen. If you can picture, you know, there's this weed that grows around here in South Texas. And I call it a choker weed because that's kind of what it does. You'll see them in your plants and your flower beds. And they're like a little thin vine that has leaves. Have you ever seen those things? And they'll wrap themselves around every single flower, every single plant that you have. And they, you know, that's what I call them. I don't know the the scientific name for them, but I call them choker weeds because that's exactly what they do. They just, they just weave and they just wind their way around uh, to, you know, I believe, try to do damage to that plant. And so church, the, the Bible says that the enemy, he comes in and he's like, you know, the seed that is, that is thrown in, in, in different types of soil. And he comes in and, and he wants to choke out the word. He wants to choke out. That's his purpose. He wants to wrap up that word that God has given you. He wants to wrap up the word in such a way to where he tries to choke out its power. Amen? But how many of you know that the word of God is alive and effective? Amen? What he's not, the truth is, is he's not choking out the word. He's choking out your faith to receive the word. He cannot choke out the word, the word itself. Amen? The word is written. The word is powerful. The word cannot be reversed. It cannot be changed. It's forever enduring. Amen. The Bible says that the, the grass will wither away. The flowers will, will wither away. But God's word will stand forever. Amen. It says heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of the Lord will stand forever. So the enemy is not actually choking out the word. He's choking out your faith to receive the word. How does this happen? This happens when we go through trials in life. How many of you have ever gone through something in your life? Amen. We got the gray hairs and we got the tears and we got the tracks and the scars on our life to prove it. That you've gone through trial, you've gone through things in your life where you see how the enemy has just attacked your life. He's attacked your family. He's attacked your body. He's attacked the body of Christ. All in the purpose of choking out the word. All for the sole reason of trying to to get what God is giving you and just remove it from your life. Now more than ever, church, you need to be praying. Amen? Now more than ever, we need to be in prayer 24-7. I'll share just a a quick verse of what the Lord gave me uh, this morning. And this is not part of the lesson tonight, but why don't we go there anyways? Go to Leviticus chapter 24. And I just want to read this verse to you. Everybody know where Leviticus is? Chapter 24. Who's going to find it before me? Oh, my God. DJ beat me. There it is. So I want to read 
a few verses here. Leviticus 24 and 2 says, Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Verse 3 says, Outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant, uh, law in the tent of meeting, it says, Aaron is to tend to the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. It says, The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. Amen. And so we see here, church, that, that there's a, a very important thing that I believe the Lord not only was heightening in my life, but he wants us to constantly be aware of, is that we have to, church, not just turn on our faith or not just activate our faith, should I say, when we only come to church. Okay? But we should be active in our relationship with Jesus 24-7. Can somebody say amen? You will agree with me, church, that if you ate just one meal a week or two meals a week, you'd be skinnier than me. You'd probably walk in here looking all, you know, skin and bones and, you know, lethargic and everything because you were not getting the proper nourishment. And sometimes we think that one service, two services a week, you know, maybe even a prayer service on Tuesdays is enough to sustain a kingdom lifestyle, but it's not. This oil that he's speaking of is representative of many things. It's representative of the anointing, the power of God. It's representative of prayer. It's representative of so many different things. But I want to focus on prayer just for a second. Because I believe the Lord is telling us to pray continually. Amen. If you could picture a fire, how many of you have ever seen a fire? If you could picture a fire, a fire will eventually burn out if it does not have two things. If it doesn't have a source to burn and if it doesn't have oxygen. If any one of those things is removed, it cannot burn. Prayer is the very thing that, that is the wind of the Holy Spirit that keeps the fan flame so that the fire can continually burn. Amen? If you don't pray, there's no fire. I'll say it again. If you're not praying, there's no fire. That looks like this. That looks like individuals being in the midst of the presence of God and being completely unmoved. I remember years ago, a pastor shared a testimony with us uh, in the office, and he was telling me that he had spoke to a young man, and the young man said, you know what, pastor, I don't feel God here. He said, I don't feel God here. And pastor's response was quick and witty. He said, that sounds like a personal problem. We just sang about it. The heavens are open. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here, but if you don't have your fire burning, if your fire and your prayer life and your worship time and your Bible time and your knowing the word is not burning, you're going to miss out on Jesus. It's so incredible to me that we can actually all exist in the same place and yet have completely different experiences. I've heard people walk out and they say, oh, well, you know, it's just... Duke preached, you know, and, and you, know, the, the, you know, they 
didn't like the way I preached or something. I've had people say, oh, well, you know, the music was too loud or the building was too cold. And, and they just, they, they completely missed what Jesus did. Can I tell you something tonight? We need to be urgent before the Lord to not miss anything that the Lord wants to do. We need to be so desperate for Jesus again. We need to be so hungry for Jesus because, listen, the fire looks like love. The Bible says that our God is an all-consuming fire and he is a God of love. Amen? And guess what? What the fire does when you have the fire of the Lord burning inside of your life, it keeps you in love with Jesus. And the Bible says that there comes a time in the last days, it says the many, many people, the love that they have for Jesus will grow cold. What does that mean? That their fire burns out. The way that they were so, you know, desperate for his presence, the way that they were desiring to worship him, the way that they were before him at every chance that they got, they would always answer every altar call. They would always be at every service, the way that they were burning passionately for the Lord. That burns out if they themselves are not tending to their fire. Are you following me tonight? It will burn out if you are not tending to your fire. I meet people all the time and I see that lukewarmness. I see that just kind of, uh, how are you doing? Uh, how's life? Uh. And there's no joy. There's no peace. There's no righteousness. There's no, like, life. Can I tell you tonight that the word of God, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It can divide the bone from the marrow. He's alive. His fire is burning. He's accessible 24-7, but is your fire burning? I'm so thankful for all the Lord is doing amongst us, church. I really am. There has been an increase, and I have to say this, because there has been an increase of prayer in the church once again. God is reviving that, amen? And I pray that you're a part of that. Amen. Even if it's not corporately in a meeting, you know, but it's when we gather or it's at home, I pray that your prayer life is intensifying because it needs to. Amen? It's intensifying. And so there's been an increase of prayer which is resulting in a pure praise and worship and deeper love and a greater boldness in him. Amen? And so over the last two services of this series, we learned two major points of emphasis. We learned this. We learned... That this shall be a house of, this shall be a house of, this shall be a house of, it's not a gathering for the sake of gathering. It's not a place where the spiritually elite meet up. It's not a clubhouse. It's not a place for profit or gain. It's God's house and we are his people. Amen. It is God's house and we are his people. And so this house will always have men and women praying. This is what he has established. This is what he desires to see. Because listen, church, when there are men and women that are praying, man's kingdom, listen to me carefully, man's ideas, man's philosophies, and man's agendas are torn down and God's kingdom is exalted. That's what happens when you pray. But when the church doesn't pray, 
The enemy creeps in. He chokes out the word. He begins to manifest all kinds of dissent. He begins to make people gossip about each other. He begins to cause all kinds of strife because guess what? There's no prayer. But when the prayer is happening, when the fire of God exists, guess what? That all-consuming fire, it burns up that junk. It doesn't allow it to remain. It doesn't allow it to be in the midst of God's glory and God's goodness. So when you pray, church, things change. When you pray, the atmosphere changes. When you pray, God's kingdom is exalted. The second thing that we learned this past Sunday is this, is that the Lord wants to release his kingdom in us and through us. He wants to release his kingdom in you and through you. Listen, it is a terrible shame that we come to this house and we drink from God's well and we are strengthened in his presence only to keep it for, your, for ourselves. Think about that. It is a shame that we could come here and we could lift up holy hands before God. We could taste of the goodness of God. We could experience the presence of God and then hold it all in. Tell no one about Jesus. Tell no one about his love and, and his forgiveness. Tell no one about the peace that you have, the redemption that you have in him. It would be a terrible thing, church, to just simply keep his presence all for yourself. I'm reminded of this story of the ten lepers that Jesus healed in Luke 17. If you have your Bible, open it to Luke 17. In verse 12, it says this. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice. They said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. And verse 16 says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And it says, and he was a Samaritan. Verse 17. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Verse 18. Has no one returned to give uh, praise to God except this foreigner? He says, then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. What a conflicting story. I don't know if you kind of caught everything that happened, but this is kind of a conflicting story because these 10 men, all of them, all 10, had the exact same disease. Every single one of them was suffering from the same torment. None was you know, worse off than the next because they all stood at a distance. The Bible says of those who had leprosy that they had to be at a distance from 100 to 300 feet away from people. So this is why the scripture says that they, that they shouted to Jesus, that they, that they you know, cried out to him because he was actually a good distance away. Just to give you an idea, this, this is 120 feet wide. So they were from there to there or more. And they shout out to Jesus. They, they asked Jesus to have pity on them. And after they get the attention of Jesus, once they get Christ's attention, he gave them the command to go and show themselves to the priests. Now, if we understand who the priests were, they were the teachers of the law. They were the ones that had this manipulative control over God's people. And they were the ones that Jesus had gone into the temple to turn over their, their tables because they had turned his den not into a house of prayer, but into a den of thieves. 
And they were all doing so in the name of their ungodly gain. And so these men were angry at Jesus. And they were mad at Jesus because everything that he would and could do, it caused them to lose profit. See, there's no money making when everybody's getting healed. Can't sell medicine anymore. The doctor's room's going to close if, if everybody's in line with Jesus and Jesus is sending them away healed and healed and healed. There's nothing to gain if, if all of a sudden they begin to follow Jesus and they don't want to follow this religious system that they have put into place. And so the Bible says these leprous men, they're walking to find the priests. And as they're walking, as Jesus had commanded them to, they notice that their skin is clean. They once had, you know, scales and they once had scabs and they once were, were bleeding and they were infected and their skin was just all kinds of messed up. And they're walking now and they notice that they're pure. They notice that their skin is cleansed again and they were healed and like new. And the Bible says that one of them came back to praise God. Ten received the healing, but only one came back to praise and thank God. This Samaritan leper was shouting in a loud voice and he dropped to the feet of Jesus and he gave thanks to God because he was healed. Now this was a pretty crazy picture in these times and in these days because the Samaritan people, you have to understand something. The Samaritan people, they had a lot of differences from the Jews. They were politically different, socially different. Even their worship was different. And for hundreds of years, the Jews and the people of Samaria had been enemies. For hundreds of years, these people did not get along. They did not agree where God's people should worship. And so Jews worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem, but the Samaritans had another place made for worship. And so this man who is, who is not, you know, a friend of Jesus, you know, you could say, these were two rival countries. We'll, we'll just call them Ukraine and Russia. They were two rival countries that were seriously, you know, they were, they were not happy with one another. This man receives a healing from King Jesus and he goes and he bows at this man's feet. He worships, he thanks God, he's broken in God's sight. I want us to understand something, church. When the kingdom is released, all barriers could be torn down. Amen? All barriers, all divisions, all, all fragmented you know, societies and all things that, are, that are, they're experiencing in life, it can be restored because the kingdom has come. A barrier of division was broken down because the kingdom had come upon this man. Two different sides were now in agreement. And so think about this for a second. When the Lord releases his power, when the, the, when the kingdom of God is released to the earth, there's something that is, you know, uh, you know it, it, it will boggle your mind. You won't be able to comprehend how the Lord is able to do something. But the social issues... The political issues, just picture for me, you know, for a moment, the kingdom coming upon the people that are fighting for what they believe. And we've all seen the news, you know, so you, you can pick any group of people. But just think about the kingdom of God coming upon that group of people that are standing on both sides of the aisle and watch what only Jesus can do. Only Jesus 
can restore nation back to nation. Only Jesus can make the body pure and whole again. Only Jesus can transform somebody's thinking, can transform somebody's life, can, can literally bring them out of darkness and put them into light. Only Jesus, amen? The result is an incredibly powerful, humbling, awestruck worship at the feet of Jesus. Now, I want us to read that verse again. Luke 17 and 17. We're not all ten cleansed. He says, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? The Bible says of the woman with the alabaster jar. How many of you uh, remember her? In, in Luke chapter 4, verse 47, it says this. It says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Now, if you understand and understood who this woman was before she met Jesus, she had a lot of stuff going on. In fact, the Bible says that she was possessed. She was demonically possessed. And Jesus, in this moment, he says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever's been forgiven little loves little. The Bible says that she took that jar, that alabaster jar, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus in worship. She literally took what was for some a year's wages. She took everything she had and she poured it at the feet of Jesus because she was forgiven. She was forgiven. She was redeemed. She was restored to God. And so I want us to understand this. Jesus equates great forgiveness with great love. He equates great forgiveness with great love and little forgiveness with little love. Now what about healing? All the men were healed the same, but only one returned to glorify him. Only one returned to glorify God in the same way many people experience the goodness of God, but only a few will give him praise. Everybody take a deep breath. That is the mercy and the grace of God in your life today. Amen? That is the mercy and the grace of God in your life today. You see, every single one of us got that breath. Every single one of us woke up today. Every single one of us is still alive. But is our worship different? Is our gratitude different? Is our thanks different? You see, only a few will truly thank the Lord for all that he's done. How many of you remember the Israelites in the Bible? The Israelites are God's chosen people. And the Bible says that the Israelites, they were led through the desert. They were taken out of Egypt, out of, out of Pharaoh's grip, out of this lifestyle of captivity and bondage. And they're led through the desert by Moses and Aaron. And they complained. How many of you have ever complained? Raise your hand if you've ever complained. How many of you are complaining right now in your mind? You're like, man, this guy better finish. Don't complain. They begin to complain. Think about this. The chains are broken off of their life. They're no longer in captivity. They're free from Pharaoh, who had them in exile for a few hundred years. They're finally break free, and then they complain. The trip's too long. Are we there yet? 
are we there yet? <laughs> like, it's kind of hot in the desert, you know? And so as they begin to complain, I have these thoughts, you know, as I was, you know, kind of picturing them complaining. Like, don't you remember just a few days ago you were being beaten with a whip? Right? And just a few days ago, Israelites, you guys were being tortured. Just a few days ago, you had chains around your hands and your feet. And you, you know, you were bound. And now you're complaining that you don't have consistent meals. That's what they began to complain with. They said, back in Egypt, we had at least three square meals a day. They were complaining about how many times they got fed. And the Bible says that, 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 that God supplied supernatural food for them. Let's read this, Exodus chapter 16. The Lord told Moses, he says this. He said, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. <laughs> I have to stop there just for a second. Just listen to what God says. Do you think that is a loving God? Absolutely. Do you think that he is in love with your life? Do you think that he cares? Absolutely. They're complaining about not having everything that they want or need when they want it or when they need it. And he's like, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. That is not only a, a natural thing that God ended up doing, but it, it was a foreshadowing of Jesus coming as the bread of heaven. He's like, I will rain down bread of heaven for you. He says, the people are to go out every day and gather enough for the day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. You see, God wasn't just giving them a Lunchable. God wasn't just giving them like a little snack pack. He was going to rain bread from heaven. How many of you love bread? Raise your hand. I know you do. I can smell it right now. Oh, man. I went, my, one of my favorite restaurants is, is Longhorn Steakhouse. I, I like to go to Longhorn Steakhouse. They have, to me, some of the best bread that I've ever had. Then I went to Texas Roadhouse. And they got some bread, too. I'm like, okay, you know, Pastor Duke's going to put on some pounds because I'm just going to sit there and enjoy this buttery, heavenly bread. It's heavenly. It's delicious. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's tasty. And so for those of you that are bread lovers, just imagine it raining bread from heaven. I can see it right now. You know, it's like I would probably be the only guy in the Israelite herd that would be like, can I get some butter too, Lord? You know, like. Just toast it for me a little bit. You know, like that's the way I like it. This God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he not only will deliver you, he'll grant you the desires of your heart. He'll provide every single thing that you need. But listen, he rained bread from heaven and they're still complaining. They were still failing to trust him. They were still failing to believe that he could do what he said he was going to do, that he could be trusted in all circumstances. Can I tell you, church, that he is a trustworthy father? Amen? He is a trustworthy father. God has proven to your life and to my life time and time again that he can be trusted. Just the same way that he did for the Israelites, their enemies were pursuing them. Pharaoh's armies were pursuing them and they're standing at the edge of that sea and they have nowhere to go. And guess what God does? God's like, I love you so much. I'm going to just part the sea for you. 
I'm going to part the sea for you so that you can walk through on dry land. And guess what? You will not be harmed. I could imagine if that was me or you, and you just saw an ocean split. You would think, okay, I can trust him. He just split an ocean for my life. I'm not just unshackled, but he split an ocean so that my enemies would be consumed in the sea. But no, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. As soon as they get on the other side of the sea, on the other side of the land, they're like, I'm hungry. And God's like, I will push winds from the ocean to drive in quail so that you will have so much to eat, you won't have a fill. God, I am cold. Guess what? I will send you a pillar of fire at night. When are we going to trust him with our life? This is the question of the hour. When are you going to trust him with your life? I'm talking about complete surrender. Not, I don't know. Not the guy that took his son to Jesus that said, you know what, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. No, when are we going to trust him, church, that we fully surrender to his plan? That we fully surrender to his plan, that we live in constant communion with the Lord. When are we going to step into that place of fully surrendering to God? When are we going to stop complaining and give God all the praise for our healing? When are we going to stop complaining and give God all the praise for our salvation? When are we going to stop complaining and, and thank God that you have strength today, that you have hope today, amen, that you have provision, that God's given you a second chance and a millionth chance? He proves to us through his faithfulness. He proves to us through his trustworthiness that he can be trusted. Some of you have an ongoing battle of fear. You have allowed fear to creep into your life and you have an ongoing battle of fear. You have not gotten over the things that you are afraid of doing because you do not fully trust God. You don't fully trust him. And listen, it always, the root is a lack of trust. Can I tell you tonight, you can trust him. You can trust God. You can place your whole life in his hands. Every facet of your being, every part of your life, you can put it in his hands and he is faithful. Romans 10 and 11 says, as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. Do you think that it's God's plan to embarrass you? Do you think that it's God's plan that when you go out to witness and tell somebody about Jesus, that God wants you to become the laughing stock of, of your group of friends? It's not his plan, church. He wants to use you for his glory. Amen? He wants to use you for his kingdom and for his purposes. Jeremiah 29 and 11. You know this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. There are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. There are plans to give you hope and a future. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. One of the greatest revelations that I've had recently was that God hears my prayers. How many of you have ever had heard prayers? He hears them all. 
But, but, but you prayed and it happened. Amen? Has that happened? You prayed and it happened. And then you're like, whoa. Really? I had that revelation recently because God had stirred my heart to pray for so many things, church, for you, for the church, for the body of Christ, just, just to see his power and his spirit and his presence move. And every, <laughs> so many things that I prayed for, I've seen them come to pass. And I'm seeing them come to pass and my mind is blown because I said, God, I don't know what kind of favor this is or I don't know what kind of access that you've given me. All I know, Lord, is that I love it. I love it, Lord. I love it that, that you hear my prayers. He said, then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart, church. The more you know about the king, the more you will be pleased to reveal his kingdom. The more you know about Jesus, the more you grow in this trust relationship with him, the bolder and the more courageous that you will become. But if you don't know him, if you're not connected to him, if you don't speak to him, if he doesn't speak to you, that trust never grows. The fire has to be burning continually. He said, remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. It's not about church if you're good enough. Can you just listen to me for a moment? It's not about you trying to be good enough. If it was about being good enough, guess what? We don't stand a chance. That's just the truth. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. We won't stand a chance. The Bible says that our works are like filthy rags to God. There's nothing that we could do in, in and of ourselves. There's nothing that we could do to please God from, from, from our good works. But I thank God because we are justified through the blood of Jesus. Amen. We are justified because we believe in him. So it's not about if you're good enough, qualified enough, if you were raised in church or you weren't raised in church. It's not about your talent or performance. It's not about the amount of plaques that you have on a wall. It's not about your strength and your striving. It's not about your mental fortitude or tenacity. It's always been because of the finished work of Jesus Christ in your life. It's always been about that. It's because he gave his life for you and he willingly poured out his blood for your life. This is why we must trust and believe and fully surrender ourselves back to him. You see, the kingdom life begins and ends with surrender. I'll say that one more time. The kingdom life, it begins and it ends with surrender. It's the response of the leper that knows he didn't deserve to have Jesus pity him because he didn't. But all he could do was worship him and all he could do was bow at his feet and all he could do was shout from the rooftops because of the mercy of God in his life. He knew he didn't deserve it. He knew he wasn't worthy. But his response as a result of receiving a touch from heaven was, Everything. 
He bowed before him. He worshipped him. A few moments later in Luke 17 and verse 20, it says this. It says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. He says, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. What did he mean? Isn't it just like Jesus? Think about this. Isn't it just like Jesus to respond in such a way that people are left scratching their heads? <laughs> he tends to do that a lot. He tends to do that a lot because guess what? The Bible says that he reveals things through his Holy Spirit. There are things that will only be discerned through the power of the Holy Spirit, through having a relationship with Jesus. So we would always leave the Pharisees frustrated and dumbfounded because they could never crack the code. They're like, what is this guy saying? What does he mean? What is he, what is he getting at? How, how come he's talking above us? I believe, church, when it says the kingdom of God cannot be observed, meaning it cannot be measured, contained, or dissected by human hands or minds. But he goes on to say this, the kingdom of God is in your midst. This meant two things. Jesus physically standing before them and the kingdom therein for those who would believe in Jesus. That is the power of God in your life, the Holy Spirit in your life. Many people think that they've got God figured out. Many people think that they can formulate their opinions of who God is and how God works. Because we've read a book. And some Christian author or some theologian said this is how God is and this is the way God operates. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 kind of destroys all of that. Verse 18 it says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They think it's, it's, it's nonsense. They think it, it means absolutely nothing. They, they get nothing from it. They say what is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? It means nothing. It says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen? To you and I who are being saved, to you and I that are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, it is the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. It says, but God was pleased through, their, through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It says, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God, I love this verse. The foolishness of God, now God's not a fool. So just hear this out. It says, the foolishness of God, if God could be foolish is what it's saying, is wiser than human wisdom. If God could somehow be a little bit slow and God had trouble learning and God was, was somehow, you know, had some foolish tendencies to him, he would still be smarter than you and me. He would still be wiser than us. It says, and the weakness of God, and God's not weak. 
But it says, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. If God could be weak, he's still stronger than you and me in this entire world put together. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose, listen to this, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one, everybody say no one. So that no one may boast before him. Verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Verse 31, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Let the one that's going to say that, you know, they've gotten anything in this life, that they've been successful in any way, that they are healed and whole. It's not because of anything that you and I have done, and it's only because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus we will boast in the Lord. Isaiah 29 and verse 14 says, Therefore, once more, I will. Everybody say, I will. This is God speaking. He said, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish and the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. God's just a little bit smarter than us. Amen. God's just got things figured out just a little bit better than your life and in my life. Hebrews 12 and 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. His kingdom cannot be shaken. I love what he told Peter. What did he tell Peter? He said, and upon this rock, he said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's kingdom, church, is to be surrendered to. God's kingdom is worthy of giving your life for. I love what the psalmist said. He said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day serving Jesus than a thousand elsewhere. You know, church, there's a lot of things that are shakable in this world. One of those things is the opinions of men. Men think they figured it out. Men think they know the answer. Men think their, their solution will work. Men think that their, their thing is going to, you know, get us through all this strife that we're going through. And guess what? It fails time and time and time and time again. The kingdoms of this world are shakable. The governments, the authorities, the entities, the agencies, the things that, that, that man tries to conjure up that we think is good, that we think is, is well, listen, it will never work without the kingdom. This is why God wants you and I to release the kingdom wherever we go. Because the most beautiful thing about being a co-laborer with Jesus is this. As you take the kingdom of God in that kingdom, the spirit of God living in your life permeates every single area that you move into. 
Every single realm that you have access to in your workplace, in your families, amongst friends, in the people that God has given you favor to, to have conversations with, if you carry the kingdom, you carry the king into their presence. That's how you will be a world changer. That's how we will see the nation turn to Jesus. That's how we will see people come back to repentance to God. Because guess what? You took the kingdom where it was the darkest. You took the kingdom where there was no kingdom reality there. And what happens when the kingdom is released, church, is sanity comes back. Sound minds come into place. Power is released. All the hatred and dissension, all of a sudden it turns into love because the spirit of God is power, love, and a sound mind. You know what cannot be shaken is this. The word of God. Some of you wrestle with proclaiming this truth. Say, Pastor Duke, I can't, we can't say that. We have to be, what's the phrase, politically correct. Can't step on any toes, Pastor. We can't, you know, you know, say certain things because we might offend somebody. The Bible says to be wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. The truth will set you free. The truth will set them free. The truth still says that every man must bow down to the name of Jesus. The truth still says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. The truth still says that the perishable, unless we're clothed with the imperishable, will never inherit the kingdom of God. The truth still says, John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through him. The truth still says that God created the heavens and the earth, that God created man and woman. Nothing in between. The truth is still the truth. I had an interesting conversation with a young man a, a few weeks ago. And I won't get into great details about what was said, but I'll say this. He was defending genetic uh, hormone, um, you know, a man takes hormones to be a woman and all that stuff. And I said, listen, brother, he goes, I don't think we're going to come to an agreement on this. I, I said, well, here's the deal. You're not arguing with me. It's not my opinion. It's the word. It's not my opinion. I don't care what you think about me. It's not my opinion. It's his word. You cannot change his word. Every single man and woman will stand before God as God created them not as they identify or not as they think they will be. You cannot change this. It is unchangeable. It's unfailing. 
And the commands of Jesus have not changed. The things that the Lord is still asking of your life and of my life has not changed. He's still calling us to a life of surrender. He's still calling us to make disciples of all nations. He's still calling us to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's still calling us to pray for the sick. Nothing has changed. The word has not changed. I don't care what year it is. Until he comes, this must be the law of the land. This must still be the standard church. And whether somebody agrees or disagrees, whether somebody opposes or or doesn't oppose, whether somebody is open to receiving the invitation of Jesus, it does not change the mandate on the church. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. The good news is this, is that we have one that loves us more than we love ourselves. We have one that loves us so much that he chose to pull us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Do we have one, the Bible says, calls him the bread of heaven, calls him the alpha, the omega, calls him the lion and the lamb, calls him these beautiful names. And because he loves you, because he loves me, because he still loves the world. Our responsibility hasn't changed. We don't have the right to approve or deny somebody from receiving the kingdom. It's not up to you. All we're supposed to do is what he told us to do. That is to love this world the way that he loves us they don't agree that's okay love them they slap you in the face that's okay turn to them the other cheek this is what he has called us to do how many of you are thankful for Jesus tonight I'm thankful for Jesus amen I'm thankful that I have the king of glory in my heart I pray that you're thankful that God is living inside of your life and he's burning inside of your heart. I'm joyful in my life, church, because I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he's true. Every day, my prayer is, God, let me be a witness to somebody. Let me tell somebody about you, Lord. Let me share you with somebody. The Lord is working, amen? The Lord is working. He's at work. And I want you to keep praying. I want you to keep receiving from his word and keep releasing the kingdom until he comes. Acts 10 and 38, as I ask you to stand, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Everybody say, God is with me. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.